could, I want to welcome you all to Pierce Point Church. How is everybody today? Nobody's, nobody's building an ark out there, I don't think, just yet. Anyway, just yet. That's not supposed to, that's not supposed to happen like that again. So uh, I want to welcome you to this. This is every six to eight weeks, we, uh, after the deacons and deaconess in training, go through a series uh, we try to have a, just a panel talk, and we involve you guys in this. And I think it's good because uh, it lets you see what they know. And that's, that's big. That's big. And I, I also give you the uh, chance today, if somebody up here or me or anybody says something that you don't quite understand, it's okay after the service to go up and say, hey, I, I, don't, I, I didn't get all that. Can you help me with that? So about every five to six weeks, once these deacons and deaconess go through this uh, series, and this, this last five, six weeks has been on discipleship. So if you don't know this, every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m., this is a shameless plug here, it's just a shameless plug, uh, we, all, all the deacons and deaconess in training they, they do a, a Devo, they call it a Devo, that's the, that's the hip and trendy thing that Dylan came up with, but it's a devotional, it's a devo- devotional, a Devo, and I, each person gets a chance to teach something along the lines of what the subject matter is, so I want to I encourage you if, you, if you can be here at 9.30, it's worth your time, it truly is. I've been amazed, that's what these folks are able to, to do and what, how they've grown. So, uh, and this isn't, this isn't just fluff. There, it's, it, this, this is hardcore where the rubber meets the road, actual training that they're doing. And, and uh, it's not easy. It's not easy. So with all that said, let me kind of tell you how things are going to play out today. Mark is going to read a scripture, and, uh, but, but before he does that, uh, we're, he, he's going to read a scripture, and then I'm going to ask Adam to talk first about this, because we're going to talk about something that he brought up in his Devo, which was the inner life. Now, if you didn't see that or you didn't hear, hear that, I'm going to give him an opportunity after Mark reads the scripture, and then I'm going to give you some context on it, and then they're going to talk about it. So, uh, Mark, go ahead and read that scripture. It's found in Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. Matthew 15, 7 through 9 says this. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So, let me give you some background on that. So in the verses that, that Mark just read, uh, Jesus was n- n- teaching, and as happened a lot, some of the Pharisees and the scribes came up and said to him, and, and they had a problem with what he was teaching. I can't imagine that, but, but they did. They had a problem with it. And uh, they saw, of all things, that his disciples had not washed their hands before they ate. Now, this wasn't for hygiene purposes. Uh, this was a ceremonial washing that they felt like that they had come up with that said, before you eat, this is what you have to do. 
So, and, they, and they said, why is it that your disciples don't do the ceremonial, the ceremonial washing before they eat? Jesus said to them what Mark just quoted, and he actually went on to say, you have taken the, the uh, precepts of God, and you've made it into something that it was never intended, and he said, as a matter of fact, you are the one that is blaspheming God by teaching men to do what you say to do and not what God says to do. And he gave him an example of that. And the example was, he said, Jesus looked at him and said, you know you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. And they said, but what you do, he said, what you guys do is you tell them, don't worry about your father and mother. Tell them that everything that you would have given to them has been a gift devoted to God. Now, what that was uh, double speak for, it was a gift that was given to the Pharisees. So they had their own interests in mind. So what I'm going to do now, uh, we're going to talk about this, and and then uh, I'll read the question. But uh, uh, Merle says something a a lot. He said it a lot over the over the. over the years, and this, is, this kind of sets the tone for what this is about. Merle says, you have to walk the walk, and you got to talk the talk, and uh, I believe that. So uh, let's, uh, I'm just going to have Adam go ahead and tell us, what is it about the inner life? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the inner life is, uh, you know, we have these, um, these Christian words that we use for things all the time, and I think we can we can miss the simplicity of it. And in the inner life, you know, we, we'll hear in church sometimes of calling it the secret place. So what this is in the simplest forms is what are we doing when nobody's watching? How are we honoring God through our inner life, through what nobody else sees except between me and the Lord? So speaking to myself, and, uh, and I'll, I'll even say other leaders up here too, this is not to bring conviction to anybody, but when you... The outward appearance of our life is really what is uh, affected by our inner life. So are we somebody that's um, cussing and drinking and doing all those things? Uh, That's usually a reflection of our inner life. Because what happens in our inner life is, are we prayerfully considering decisions on how to lead our family? Are we praising the Lord and thanking him for the things that he gives us in our life? Are we going to the Lord for uh, comfort and, uh, and healing and all these things when we are in distress? Are we actively seeking the Lord when nobody else is looking? And, uh, and like I said, so when I gave my devotional, that was basically kind of what we talked about the entire time is when you do these things, there will be uh, an outward transformation of what your life looks like. Um, and it is, it is a really important thing for us to realize how simple it is uh, without necessarily putting all the Christian words over top of it. Are we praying? Are we seeking the Lord first? And are we doing it regardless whether we're on stage or coming to church or not? Yeah, that's good. Okay. So here's, here's the thing I want you guys to talk about now. So in the scripture that Mark read, Jesus contrasts talk and the heart or action. So therefore, what drives the action is this inner life that Adam talked about. So why, guys and gal, is this so important to worship? 
Uh, first, we have to really define worship. I think a lot of the times when we hear the word worship, we think about what Adam leads us in every Sunday morning. You know, we're singing, we're raising our hands, we're doing all, all of these things, but that's, that is just a part of worship. Um, Romans 12 verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and, a, and holy sacrifice, accept, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Um, this is just another indication that it's not just singing and praising the Lord that's worship, it's laying your life down that is worship. Uh, in regards to inner life, you know, as, as these guys have said, your inner life, the things that you are doing when nobody's looking, that pushes the, like, the things that you're doing in life, the actions that you take, right? That is also worship unto the Lord. So if your inner life is off, then the worship that you have, the life that you have to give to lay down is also going to be off. Um, one of the things that I, I, I like to bring up in this, uh, the Matthew chapter 15 scriptures, uh, where it says, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. We can get caught, caught up in that same thing in, in the modern church where, you know, all of you guys he, are here on a Sunday morning and you, you know, and I'll, actually I'll use myself as an example. Before I truly came to the Lord, I would go to church every Sunday I would say the right things. I felt like I was on a, I was, I was on a Broadway play, pretending to be a Christian because I said all the right things, I sang all the right songs, I raised my hands, I bless you, brother. I said everything. I looked like the best Christian, and I knew that my heart was wicked. I'd go home and I'd cuss like a sailor, and I'd, I'd drink and I'd smoke. I'd do all of these things because my heart, my inner life, was not for the Lord. So neither was my worship. Nothing that I had in the, in, at that time was anything that was worthy of being laid down to worship the Lord. So we can come here on a Sunday, we can say all the right things, but unless our inner life is in check, then we will not truly really be able to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. Does that make sense? I'm gonna, I wanna add to that, uh... It, you, you'll hear uh, the term first fruits applied a lot to like tithing and giving. But also, I believe it, you know, it really does apply to worship. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that Sunday is the end of the week. But it's like, no, we're, we're starting the week by praising the Lord. Like, we wake up. Like, you look at a calendar, Sunday, Sunday is the first day of the week. And, and I think that a lot of times with regarding our inner life, too, too often we, we find ourselves giving God the scraps. We find that we, we live our life, we do all these things, and then we say, oh, I'll give this to the Lord now too. Um, but, you know, speaking of first fruits, like with, your, with the tithe, you know, just kind of adding this into an act of worship, because, uh, again, it's not just, you know, music. Um, we don't pay all of our bills and then say, here, God, you can have what's left over. We say, God, we're going to give you this, um, or at least this is what we should do. This is a struggle for a lot of people. Um, but we give first, and I feel the same way kind of applies to worship, too, of we have to lay down ourselves. We have to lay down our own lives. I said it this morning in our prayer that we need to die to ourselves continually, and we need to give the Lord the first fruits of our praise, of our entire uh, mind to him. We are a very action-oriented people, right? We like tangible things, things we can touch. And that's often what we judge. We look at people and we tend to judge what we see or we judge what they do. And this whole conversation, at least this question, is really based on the premise that that's not what God does. He cares so much more about our heart posture 
you know, what is our motive? And that's really what the inner life is. It's our heart posture behind everything. That's what you are talking about. So, you know, we focus on good works and does God care about good works? Yeah, but not, not the way that we tend to, not at all. He cares about your heart posture so much more and that's what he's judging and that's what he values. That's a that, that's a good point regarding the the good works and, and the heart posture behind it because there are a lot of people in this world that don't believe in Jesus, that don't worship the same God that we do, that do good works, but those good works don't mean anything. They they may lead to good things, but that's not worship unto the Lord. And you could, as a Christian, you could go out and feed every homeless person in Cincinnati, but if it's if your heart posture is to bring glory to yourself, then it means nothing. Amen. So it's, it's very important that, that we have that inner life and our motives in check when we are doing even, even good works that we're called to. Because if, if, you're, if your heart is wrong, then it doesn't matter what you do. It's still wrong. Yeah, to tie that back into the question of worship, right, we think of worship as how we live our life. You mentioned that, you know, doing good things. Well, that's, that's where it, it's meaningless, right? Worship to God. You're not worshiping God if you're feeding homeless people because you want the glory of that or the likes on Facebook. You're worshiping yourself. You're not worshiping God. And that's where there's a, a connect there. Okay. Let's go to uh, section two, Mark. Uh, and this question or, or this Scripture is about spiritual attitudes and character. So go ahead and read that. This is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, and it says this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in this scripture, Paul told the church at Philippi, he was a, a specific in, in instruction, and, and that was in the very first sentence that Mark read. He said, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to explain that. So guys and gal, based on your personal context as a disciple of Christ, how do you have this attitude? And they get harder as they go. <laughs> I, I, and I never want to be the one to speak first, but it seems to, it seems to lead that way. Um, so the, one, one important thing to understand here is we are not having the same problem as Jesus. We are not God. We're not laying down that part of ourselves. Um, in regards to being humble, though, and this, having this attitude, um, it is easy to become prideful in what we do have because we are, we are daughter and sons of the Most High God. We are, we are royalty. We're forgiven and that could, you could run with that, and we have a lot of our other brothers and sisters that may take that and run with it and say that they're 
greater than they truly are, but in all, all understanding, we should look at the blessings that we have because we are beloved, we are loved, we are forgiven, we're redeemed, and those, those are great things. But in order to really maintain this attitude of not seeing oneself more highly than you ought, the only thing it requires is for you to understand where those things come from. None of the th good things that we currently have come from our own power, not even our forgiveness. The only thing we did was realize that we, we were sinners in need of a savior, but the power that has, that, that, we've, that has been used for us to be forgiven is all from the Lord. We have nothing that we can boast about, so we humble ourselves and we remain thankful for the things that we have been given. So here Paul is saying, make no mistake, Jesus was God. He came and he lived as man and he was sacrificed on a cross. All things that you would see happen to a man, but he was God. And he could have been God, but he used self-control and restraint and he actually laid down those privileges so that he could be the, the perfect sacrifice for us. Because you know, if he's God, if he doesn't have to walk through the temptation of life that, that we have, then what is that? What's a sinless life if it wasn't hard? He actually lived a sinless life and he did it in a very challenging way because he laid down, you know, he put down God mode and picked up human, <laughs> put that on and walked it out completely and lived a perfect sinless life and then sacrificed that for us. But that's what this is talking about. So it's talking about how humble he had to be to put down God mode, right? That requires humility to not even think about being equal with God at that point, even though he could have been. You know, that's something that we see as a sort of a theme in the Bible is, you know, people trying to almost usurp God's power in a way. And here's somebody that actually could have had the power of God, because we can try, but we're not going to. He actually had the authority the whole time. He had access to it, and he didn't, he didn't pick that up. He laid that aside, taking on the form of a bond servant, you know, and being made in the likeness of men. And then he also humbled himself to the point of obedience on a cross. So you have that humility of, you know, actually sacrificing yourself, right? And then you have the, <laughs> the humility of being obedient. But the point is that both of these come from the same thing, being, being humble. And that actually brings up a good point because there is an analogy here. Of, you guys have heard it you know, dying to yourself daily and actually sacrificing yourself and, and becoming who you want to be. And that requires obedience and humility and a constant remembering of where these gifts came from, which is what Dylan said. I just had one little bit that I wanted to add. While we were singing this morning, one of the phrases, of, I believe I captured it correctly, is come to the end of yourself because God is calling. And I think that you know, as you were saying in one way, and certainly you were saying in a way, is it's as we, when we go to humble ourselves, it's like we're emptying everything we have and looking to hear that call and to fulfill with ourselves with that call. And then we have to continue to humble ourselves to continue to be able to do that. It's, an, it's a process that we have to allow ourselves to open up to and really just kind of purge ourselves of the day-to-day -day thing. And we have to remember that 
yeah, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. I mean, I'm one of those people, I can stumble over a pebble in the driveway. <laughs> um, and that's not just because I'm klutzy. I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually and my tone and my attitude. So I think one thing that's in incredible to understand is humbling yourself is really sitting next to yourself in the chair and saying, why did you do that? How did that measure up? Is that what you really wanted to say and do and be? And then immediately taking it back to the Lord and asking for forgiveness and accepting that forgiveness. And I think sometimes when we try to be humble, we just want to say, oh, well, I'm human and I mess up. No, it, you're human and you mess up as an invitation to reunite yourself with God. Um. For me, to go back to the question of, you know, basing this on personal context, uh, you know, I like what Dylan kind of said of like, we know who we are uh, in the eyes of the Lord. We know who he's created us to be. And there's, there's um, magnificence in that. Um, but I have, I will borrow the term from Nathan or he, you know, he says professional Christian. I've been a professional Christian for, for 15 years of my life. And I think early on in my walk, uh, especially uh, when it comes to working in church, early on in ministry, I, you know, I thought so highly of myself, and yeah, I have all the answers and all these things. And uh, you know how many times I was right during that? <laughs> None. So, so I feel like um, I feel like in this sense of like becoming humble, like I got humbled quite a bit. Um, and, and through that process of being humbled, it makes me constantly realize that, uh, you know, what Dylan was saying is we are made who we are in the eyes of the Lord, but that doesn't mean that I have that same power <laughs> of like my answers are this way. It's like, no, it's the Lord's answers. I need to seek him constantly. So like for me, one of, one of my doubts that I have one of my struggles is I constantly am like, I shouldn't open my mouth because I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. Um, but like, that's one of the things of like staying humble is, is, you know, we got to constantly keep pursuing the Lord in all things. Okay. This next one is a uh, topic that is batted around a lot. Spiritual maturity. Uh, and it's Matthew 28 and 20. So Mark, read that for us, please. Matthew 28, 20 says this, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. So, so some pastors you will hear say uh, spiritual maturity, according to Christ, they say, is summed up by complete obedience to all Scripture. And here's the question. Is this true? Or is it not true? And why or why not? I guess I have the clue, since they both looked at me. Um, I've, I had to step back and, and pray this one through and, and read some more. But what I really came down to was that God gives us the most simple, direct message. 
And it's, it's one any of us can not just hear, but really begin to internalize and begin to work through. And that is Galatians 6.2, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That sounds like a lot, but once you really start digging into that, staying um, focused on that goal, it becomes so much easier. And you're going to find yourself growing and maturing and being fulfilled and influencing others. And that's part of spiritual maturity, absolutely, is getting that um, sense of pride and honor in being growing. The other um, scripture is Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you take that big pot and you let it boil down, those are the two scriptures that tell us what we need to do. We need to obey those two scriptures because that is the foundation. That is the basis of all of Christ's activity and God's purpose for us is to love one another and to honor our God and our Christ. Amen. Um, if anybody cares, this is my least favorite question. I just, um, <laughs> we did. Uh, so I, I overthink um, a lot of things, and when I was going over this question, it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole in regards to when it says all of Scripture, because that's a lot of Scripture. And if we are going to define spiritual maturity as complete obedience to all of Scripture, I'm screwed. Like, I'm, <laughs> I, I, there, I, there are Scriptures that I don't know, so how, how can I be obedient to those Scriptures, right? And we were kind of talking over that this morning, and Kathy makes a fantastic point in regards to the Love the, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love the neighbor thyself. That is the fulfillment. That is the, as, as, as you said fantastically, is if you boiled all the commands down, that's what's left, is, is love, and, and how we're called to love, right? Um, here is the part that kind of struck me in a certain kind of way in regards to, even, even with those, if that is what we are going to call spiritual maturity, um, we also have to think: Do we do we perfectly do that? Do we love the Lord your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do you love thy neighbor as thyself all the time? I don't. He's a professional Christian, and he doesn't. <laughs> like, like, I. So then we have to ask ourselves: If that's the case, do we? Like, do we fall in and out of spiritual maturity as we go, as we live our life? I don't think that's the case. Um, I, <laughs> under this question, I only have one, like, I, I have one line, and it says, sanctification equals spiritual maturity. Because in regards to this, following a command such as that, we are going to fail, and we're going to pick ourselves back up, we're going to repent, and we're going to keep moving forward. Because at the end of the day, true spiritual maturity is more, again, and, and Ethan hit on this, that is that, that heart posture. What is your desire? Is your desire to live a life where each day you look a little more like Jesus? You love a little more like Jesus? You respond a little more like Jesus? That's, that's, that is 
more spiritual maturity. And that's a huge part of the sanctification where we are going to fail often. At least I do. <laughs> um, but we pick ourselves back up. We repent. We turn to Jesus and we say, okay, I messed up here, but my heart and my desire is to still look more like you tomorrow. And that is a beautiful picture of spiritual maturity because even Paul said that he, he does the things he wishes not to do and he doesn't do the things that he wishes he, he would do. And if Paul wasn't even a little bit spiritual mature, then I'm, <laughs> I'm in trouble. So in regards to spiritual maturity, it's, it's really that heart posture, that desire of what, what are you aiming for? What are you working toward each and every day? What are you doing in regards to your sanctification? I'm going to take the dangerous, bold route here um, into the question. I'm going to say, do we have to be obedient to all scriptures? No. And I'm going to say no because there's a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament that is, you know, part of the law. Look at Leviticus and all the, all the things that are under there that we are no longer under that law anymore. So in, in the same vein, I am being obedient to all scripture because of the fulfillment that Jesus brought with, within the new covenant that we have with him. So in that vein, yes, I'm obedient to all scripture. Um, but I think if you look at Leviticus and all the laws that are written in there and that, uh, that God's people are under, we're, we're all breaking those, those rules, you know. Yeah, it's very cool because one thing everyone is doing is they are, they're breaking down the question when they're answering it. They're looking at it and they're analyzing it. So some people say that spiritual maturity is summed up by the complete obedience to all of scripture. So people are going, well, what does spiritual maturity mean? You talked on that a little bit. Is it something you can even fall out of? Or are you not spiritually mature anymore? You talked about, well, what is all of Scripture? Even Adam just said that. And you're talking about the sum of God's word, which is what you mentioned. You know, love people, love one another. That is the sum of God's word. That's the sum of his word that is truth. And when we are obedient to that, well, yeah, we're being obedient to all of Scripture. So. I just wanted to piggyback on Adam just a tad bit when he was talking about New Testament um, and the Old Testament you know I was always taught that the Old Testament will point us to our need for Jesus and we find how that need is fulfilled by reading that scripture and following his, his methods and his style and our imaging him and us so I just think that's Maybe not saying that we um, only look in the New Testament for direction, but we look at it in the New Testament for the direction based on what was in the Old Testament and how things have changed and ha things have measurably increased because of Christ coming into the scriptures. The, uh, this was my favorite, my favorite question because it's a little bit of a trick question, a little bit. And it's a little bit of a trick question because first, if you, if you, <laughs> we are big on context and context is king, right? right? So if you say all scripture, well, what was all scripture when Jesus was walking around on the earth? It was the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. He had no New Testament. Do you know that it, Jesus never had a New Testament? It hadn't been written yet. Hadn't been written yet. How many of you like bacon? Everybody like, is there if I like bacon? I, I like bacon. 
ham? Well, it was in the scripture that Jesus had. You can't, can't eat that stuff. Can't eat that stuff. It, it goes back to something that Kathy brought out. Jesus said, he summed up every bit of, of all that he had, the first five books of the Bible. He summed it up and said, they all hang on these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. He said everything in the scripture that was scripture when he was alive, context, when he was alive, hangs on those two things. And so a little bit of a trick question. I think they did well with that. I, I, <laughs> it is, it's uh, to not know the context can change things. So. Mm-hmm. All right, the, the next, next area we're going to go into quickly here is spiritual gifts. And uh, Mark, go ahead and read that. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, here is the question. Spiritual gifts within discipleship are for the common good, according to this scripture. What is the common good? And I might, you have to justify your answer this time. You have to say, well, the scripture says this, or you have to... Justify it by means of the scripture. Threw a little curveball there. (laughs) 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 Well, while we all look at scriptures, I will say this, um, speaking in context of of something I think applies to all this. um, In the worship team, uh, this is a lesson that I've learned, and this will kind of get to what I believe the common good is, is there's many times, speaking to myself here, where you have a person that is capable of doing many jobs, and you give those many jobs to that one person. And the thing that I've learned over my time in ministry is that by trying to do everything yourself and um, doing it to the best of your abilities, you're actually robbing somebody else from being able to honor and serve the Lord through the gifts that they have. Um, And even if their gift might not be um, as well-practiced as yours in some context, um, we we need to, as as leaders and people that are raising up disciples, um, help grow that gift in their life. So an example would be, um, you, you always hear a lot of times, Uh, People talk about like you go to these big churches and they have light shows and all these things. I have a different view than most people because most people look at that and they think of it as a show or whatever it is. And I look at it and I go, it is incredibly difficult to run uh, an entire light board or a soundstage or, or any of those things. It's incredibly difficult. And that might be that person's gifting in their life that they're they're capable of doing this. They their people dedicate their whole lives to things like this. And I don't ever want to deny somebody the ability of expressing their talents in anything to honor the Lord. Which ultimately brings me into I think the uh, the common good of all this is all of our gifts come together to serve the Lord, to honor Him through all things. Um, and I do believe that's basically what this scripture is saying. This We're all serving the same God. We all have different gifts. 
but ultimately we, these gifts come together to not just make something happen for us, but it's to honor the Lord. Absolutely. So I'll read that verse again that Mark just said. So it's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. So it says, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of ministries, but the same Lord. Now that's very cool because it talks about varieties of things and then the same spirit and the varieties of gifts, but the same Lord. It talks about how we have different giftings, but we're all serving the same God. So it's like differences, unity, differences, unity is how that pulls in. They're working all things together in all persons. The same God's working all things together in all persons, but each one of us is given, you know, different gifts. And that's very cool. And that just feeds into what you were talking about because we have different gifts and different people that are coming together in the body to build each other up in the church first. So we are constantly discipling one another. We're constantly building each other up, helping each other grow. And that's bringing good here in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is also constantly growing. It's constantly expanding. And so we're also reaching out to other people. So it's twofold. We're, we're helping each other and we're building each other inward. And then we're also blessing the community around us and growing outward as well. So I've got to go back before, uh, there's, there's a couple of folks that aren't up here today, but uh, Jace, Jace Sims had to work, and, uh, and then uh, Jacob is in, is in the back, he's, he's working Kids Point, but Jace brought up something the other, uh, about a week ago that I thought was a great example of the common good. He said, you know, you read in the scriptures and Acts where they got together and the elders got together and they prayed and said, we need seven men full of the Holy Spirit dedicated to God, yep. to wait tables. <laughs> yep. That's for the common good. That's for the common good, to wait ta tables. I like that. Go, Go Dylan. You, you good? Yeah, I was, I was uh, combing through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 um, in case Barney made me quote something. Um, <laughs> So, uh, and we, we get into it, I think, in the next question as well, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see when talking about the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives out as, as he sees fit. Um, in regards to that, and I'm, I was trying to find it in 12, I know it's somewhere here, um, it also breaks down and it talks about, for the body is not one member. These spiritual gifts, all of us are a part of that body. So the common good when, when using and being given these spiritual gifts is for the benefit of the body. Now, when we think the body, we may think Pierce Point Community Church. It's not, not technically true. We are all one body, whether it's this church or the church two minutes down the road or the other church also two minutes down the road or the other church is also a minute and a half down the road because they're everywhere. Um, we are all members of that one body being given spiritual gifts as the Holy Spirit sees fit for the building up of that body, of that kingdom. Um, that's, very much, that's very much explained here in uh, chapter 12 and probably 11 and 13 as well. That just, uh, it makes me think though too, just going back full circle from where we started to of this conversation with the inner life and all that, uh, we, we touched base on it just for a second, which is, a lot of people want to, they want to flaunt their gifts and all things, and they want to be in a spotlight. They want the glamorous positions, but it is the people that are going to wait tables and serve and things like that. And uh, it makes me just go back to the common good of, are we doing these things regardless of the attention that we're going to get from doing them? 
ultimately, that is, that is really coming down to the common good of things is, are we actually serving the Lord or are we just wanting to have a little bit of praise ourselves? And as Dylan was talking, I was thinking um, the common good isn't just a church congregation or all Christianity. It's really even bigger because it's about the world mm -hmm. and getting the world ready to be the kingdom of God. That's why he created us to praise him and to honor him and make the world be the, his kingdom again. And so... I, I'm thinking about somebody who made that kind of an impact. Who, and, you know, there's so many amazing people. Um, when you're as old as I am, you can go back and name them off. Uh, but I think one that really made an impact on my heart was Martin Luther King. You know, he was reared in the church. He was taught in the church to be able to speak passionately and compassionately and still reach out and try to understand the other person's gift and their point of view. He never strayed from being the man who expressed his desires and his goals with a heart of compassion. He frequently referenced scripture. He prayed before every march. He would walk arm in arm to show the unity of the people he was with the people he was in the center of. Um, yeah, he often led the parades or the marches, but mostly because those that were behind him kind of pushed him there. Um, I read one time that he even said, I'd rather walk amongst you, but they didn't allow that. He didn't elevate himself to that point. He advocated nonviolence. He told people if they bring fire hoses out and spray you down, so be it. This is the cost for what is doing right. And I see that as just really having the will of God and the spiritual maturity and heart to do his will. I just had to throw that in. Thank you. Folks, we've got about five minutes left, so we're not going to get to question number six. We will quickly jump into five. So Mark, if you'll read that, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. One long run-on sentence. It's a long run-on sentence for Paul. Paul the apostle was a <laughs> run-on sentence guy. He is. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 says this, and he gave to some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot, and we won't get 
fully into this. We've got about five to seven minutes, guys. So question is this. What is the end game of church involvement according to Ephesians 4, and how does this differ from the modern church? Um, it, it's always funny because when, when we ask these questions, it's, it's kind of an open book quiz. You know, you can, you, it's right there in the scripture. Um, if we're talking about what is the church involvement according to that, that uh, part in Ephesians 4, um, it really would be for the, the, the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Um, and then we get into talking about, you know, again, the different parts of the body and all working together for the whole body. Um, in regards to how does that differ from the modern church, um, and Ethan will probably have a little more to say on this because we were going back and forth this morning, but um, I don't believe that there's as, it, as intentional of a focus regarding this, this scripture as, there, as there, there would have been in the early church. Um, I feel that they would have been more, more intentional about, you know, what part are you serving in this body? You know, what, what, what do you have to offer? Because you all have something to offer, all of us. All of us are given spiritual gifts as, as, as the Holy Spirit sees fit. And we're all called to work together to serve the whole body. Amen? That was a quiet amen. <laughs> Nathan would be so sad. Um, all of you have something to offer. But I don't think we're as intentional in the modern church in encouraging all of us to give of oneself and to give what you have to offer. Um, so many times I've spoken, not to specifically in this church, but so many times I've spoken to people about how they have something to offer, and so many times people think that their, their job in the church is to sit in a pew and just raise their hand during worship, and, and that's the, the only value they have to add, and it's just not the case. Um, so I don't think that we are, it's very individualistic, as Ethan put it this morning, um, where it's more like we come here, we see each other, we fellowship, and we go home and decide what we're going to have for lunch, and then we go and we go to work, and we, we don't think a whole lot about it. And then we come back, and okay, well, now we're one big group again, and then we do it again, where it's this very weird individualistic thing. And back in the early church, it would have been much more of a, a community where these guys were living life together, truly living life together, not, not meeting up, you know, once a week, twice a week maybe, to have a good conversation and then go on, go on with their, their own individual lives. They were truly living life together each and every day. Um, obviously, it's easier for us to be individualistic. It's easy for you to just do what you want to do and to not involve other people in your life, but it's more beneficial as, as, a, as a family, as a body, if we live in the way that we're called to live here in Ephesians 4. Yes, amen. Yeah, I just, just want to touch on that real quick is... is, is in the modern church, we can get really focused on just numbers, how many people are coming to sit in the seats and things like that. And, and I think that what Dylan was just talking about is I think that the modern church today has just gotten a little steeped in tradition, even in the, even the most contemporary churches there are. We all think it has to look this way, has to be this certain way. But I'm, I'm in the vein of, like, these people were living life with each other. Like, people 
people think that we can only do things in church if it looks like what church already is. But why not start up a, a fishing ministry? You know, going going to the Bible. Uh, we've seen people do. Um, we did a, a class one time about how um, uh, Brittany, my wife, uh, her old boss ran a barbecue restaurant, a Christian barbecue restaurant. And the whole thing was about how he, he took all this time and consideration into making barbecue and how he uh, spent the time while it was smoking and everything, praying and literally praying over this food and had a whole ministry revolved around barbecue. So it's like there's, there's so many options that I feel like we disregard in the modern church that just get overlooked that maybe in, uh, in the church of this time period, you would have seen a lot more people, like Dylan said, living life with each other. It wouldn't just look like us coming to church on a Sunday morning. So. I actually want to circle back to something you said in the last question, because I want to make sure people don't miss that, because it was very cool. In the last question, you circled it back to the beginning, because we were talking about the common good. We're talking about, and we, you know, Barney mentioned waiting tables. We're thinking of actions already. How can we help one another and all these things? And that just proves how quickly our minds drift towards physical things because he quickly looped it back into the first question, which is, this is about the kingdom of God, common good for the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God made of? It's made of real tangible things. It's, there's actions and things we do here, but that's not really what it is. It's our heart posture. That's the common good. You know, when you're waiting tables, if you're not doing that from a right heart, that's, that's nothing. That's not the common good. That's just you being prideful and not being humble. But if you are doing that from the right heart posture, like we talked about in the first question, that Adam looped that back to, that's amazing. And that's the common good. When our heart posture and our motives are right, that's when the kingdom of God is growing. And that's when the common good is actually being done.